0: The views and opinions expressed by the following program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers and are not necessarily those of this station or Webster Rocky Ministries, its management or other hosts or underwriting sponsors. Programs presented by KWRHLP are for educational and entertainment purposes only.
1: Greetings listeners in listener land. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langson of St. Louis in Tomb. We're glad that you joined us today. St. Louis In Tune focuses on issues that impact and connect the greater St. Louis area, and we've got a variety of topics. What do you do if you've been incarcerated, if you've had some issues with drugs and or alcohol, and maybe you're able to come out of that and you're able to see that it's important to have strong family relationships, especially strong male dad relationships. Our guest today has experienced all of that, and he's leading a group in downtown St. Louis that has uh, fingers out into the community of the greater St. Louis area, and he has done marvelous things with dads and families around the area. We'd like to welcome Halbert Sullivan, who's the founder and CEO of Fathers and Family Support Center. Halbert, welcome to St. Louis In Tune.
0: Hello to uh, you all, and I want to thank you for having me and giving me uh, this opportunity.
1: Halbert, would you give us a background on yourself? You know, I was on your website, and I was like, I I am amazed at, number one, your, your journey out of where you were, and then the focal point at which you have really focused your mission in life now to help fathers and help families, and... Really uh, make an make an impact on the greater St. Louis area.
0: Well, uh, a little background information on me: uh, I have a master's degree from Warren Brown School of Social Work at WashU. I have a bachelor's degree from Fontbond University. I also have a certificate in management from Brown School at Washington University. But um, I'm also a ex-con and a recovering drug addict.
1: And what was the impetus that got you out of, out of drugs and out of prison?
0: Well, the uh, prison thing, uh, I got out of prison. The last time to prison was in 1977, and I came out of prison, and within a year's time, I started using uh, hard narcotics. And so from that period of time all the way up until 1993, uh, I was a drug addict. I... Uh, Crack cocaine was a drug of choice. It was the one that towed me up from the flow up, gave me a raw whooping. Uh, and you say, what was it that brought me out? Uh, it was in 93 when I was able to get clean. And thank God I've been clean now for over 27 years and have not seen the inside of a prison, jail, or any type of holdup. Uh, but I began to try to stop using drugs in 1982. I just was not successful. I didn't know how, but I continued to try to stop. From 82 until 93, I did have a stay in a jail. During that stay in that jail, I was continuously having conversations with myself. uh, But I tapped into this God thing while I was there. And I think that is what did it for me.
1: That's a good thing to tap into. That's a good thing to tap into.
0: It certainly is. I don't think that any good stuff happens for human beings without having some type of God in your life. I'm not uh, a religious fanatic, so I'm not one to say who you should have, but I do strongly suggest that you get some God into your life. And that was the thing that turned it for me. Now, when that happened to me, that was in like 1989, and I uh, sort of did okay for about a year uh, but I was not doing all the things that I needed to do, or I think that I needed to do, to really be in line with the God that I had chosen, and so I fell off the block. However, uh, in the fall, I still was being guided by my God every, every other Sunday or so. I'd sneak and sit down in the back of the church because I didn't want to be seen. I had failed, so to speak. You know, guilt will have you feel in all kinds of ways. Uh, but I knew that once God get a hold to you, it's not that easy to continue to do ugly things in your world.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I stayed on that journey uh, of sneaking back and forth to the church until 93 when I went into drug rehab. In the drug rehab, I was entirely ready. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired of the whole night. And I went there open-minded, willing to listen to the people and decided to, uh, Do what they told me to do. And one of the things that was already working for me was to get yourself a God of your understanding in your life. And so that's what I've done over these last uh, 27 years. Life has been good. Uh, Once I left the drug rehab, uh, the next day I enrolled in Forest Park Community College. Up until that point, I had been involved in what we call hustling. And uh, I had decided since going into the rehab and I was going to do what they said, do the hustling life, I had to put it aside. So at the age of 43, I enrolled in the Forest Park Community College. I had been to college in my younger years back in 72, 73. And so uh, uh, after two years, I graduated with my associate's degree. I had no intentions mm-hmm. of being in a two-year college more than two years. And I got my degree, and I went from, from Forest Park to Fontbonne. Early at Forest Park, my goal was to be a drug counselor because I felt as though it had worked for me and I wanted to help other people.
1: Sure.
0: Uh, transitioning from Plunk Bond to Wash U, I rethought the uh, uh, the drug counselor and came up on wanting to work with kids. I grew up in a good home. We were poor. No, I should say po p o P-O, po Uh, But I had all the good values instilled in me in my home, right and wrong, good and bad. My parents, my mom and stepdad, they couldn't read or write, but we had to go Uh to school. And it didn't make a difference Uh if it was in the middle of the summer or the hard of winter. Come 9 o'clock, you had to go to bed. So I had all the right Uh stuff, but I just made some bad decisions, choices right around the age of 14, 15. So I wanted to work with kids so they don't get on that path. So I got to Brown School. I got a job as a school social worker. I was blessed to be able to get that job. I was enjoying that job. While at Brown School, though, I also got involved in research projects. Our school of social work here in St. Louis is either number one or number two in the nation, depending upon what year It's one of the best schools of social work in the world.
1: Absolutely. And
0: so uh, I got involved in research projects. The projects that caught my attention were those that dealt with poverty. While I wanted to work with the kids, I also wanted to be able to do uh, something around what is the root causes of poverty. I don't want to just be the band-aid. Let's get to the root of this thing so we can try to make true differences. And my projects uh, led me uh, to be introduced to a couple ladies this Agency, which I am the founding CEO, it was not my idea. This was the agency of two ladies, Dar Steiner and Sue Breslauer. And when they first approached me, I got my gravy job, my dream job in the schools. I told them no. They didn't have no money, no 501c3, no program structures, no mission. All They got an idea. I got some of them. I ain't leaving my job. Well, it was a young man I was working with in the schools. And working with this young man caused me to change my mind, particularly when I look at the fact that I wanted to get down to the root causes of some of the things that causes poverty. i got a list. I'm going to read off right quick. Children who grew up without their fathers involved, 63% of youth that commit suicide, fatherlessness. 90% of all homeless and runaway children, fatherlessness. 85% of all children that exhibit behavior disorders, fatherlessness. of rapists motivated with displaced anger, fatherlessness. 71% of all high school dropouts, fatherlessness. 75% of youth in uh, chemical uh, abuse centers, fatherlessness. 70% of youth in state-operated institutions, fatherlessness. 85% of all youth in prison, fatherlessness. Last but not least, 82% of all teenage girls who get pregnant come from fatherless homes. That last one keeps the cycle going. So when I was working with this young man, I saw no positives in none of the adults in his immediate environment. His mother was a crackhead. There was no father in the home. And the males that were in the environment, they were all using drugs, not working, doing anything positive. So I doubled back to those ladies because I had the data. I'd done the research, and we sat down and we talked. No money. Oh, my God. I had to go talk to my wife. I quit my job to start this, and she scratched her head and said, if that's what you want to do, so uh, when I first started, went all around town telling people what I was going to do. Uh, this is in 97. It was right on the cusp of Deadbeat Dad when that term was very well thrown around. Mm-hmm. People in town, powers that be, told me that it, it is needed, but it's not going to work. Our project has a lot of structure to it. I have a little conservative streak in me. I don't believe that it benefits a person to just give them everything that they need. I do believe, and deal with the crises that that person might be in. But after that, they got to learn how to earn things. People keep stuff longer when they earn it versus when you give it to them. Mm -hmm. If you give it to them, then they'll keep knocking on your door. If you teach them, then they'll know how to take care of it themselves. And so we have a very structured process. People told me that you're going to have too many rules and ain't nobody going to come. And If they do come, they ain't going to stay. Well, 17,000 dads later which impacts about 44,000 children, we're still open. Dads are still coming. Uh, And so that's a little uh, background about me, about how we got started. We do what we do to impact outcomes for children. I just chose to use a different vehicle to do so and different methods to do so. Uh Children model the behavior of the adults that are in their environment, and most likely we're talking about the first adults, are their parents. They're going to model the parents' behavior, and they're going to look to the parents, and they're going to want to please their parents. Okay. The problem that we had when I looked at that situation is that the adults were the ones that were teaching negative, doing negative, and a lot of them had to do it because of the environments that they were in. So we, I decided that I would work with them to help them to understand Uh, and help them to change the way they think. We work on changing how you think. What my staff calls it is we give them a checkup from the neck up. (laughs) And it don't work with... (laughs) That's what we definitely work at. It don't work with everybody. Don't get me wrong. you got to be ready. you got to be willing because you will have to participate in the process of change. I can't just pour change over on you. And I pull this notion from my own life experiences. When I first talked about 82 to 93 and I didn't know how to do it, I wasn't willing to change. I was still trying to rip and run in those streets. I was still in those negative environments. I was still carrying the same thoughts, you know, well actually up until about uh, 89, that's when I got my introduction to the God of my understanding. Thoughts were beginning to change, but in order to be born again, you got to work on being born again. There's a path that you got to make. Amen. And I wasn't on that path. I'd run up into the church, but I wasn't reading the book. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't uh, uh, interacting with the people. I wasn't trying to figure out how to work it into my life. I was just going through the motions. That's why yep. it failed. And so this notion of changing or assisting people in changing how they think. You know, it comes from my own past experiences as well as some stuff I learned while I was at Wash U. Throughout life, we go around talking about you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I think there was a theorist a, uh, from psychology by the name of uh, Pavlov and his dogs. <laughs> he taught them new tricks. And then there's Maslow with his theory. Okay hierarchy of needs mm-hmm. and there's one other theorist that i incorporate his name will come to me pretty soon uh uh he teaches about uh that you have re- that you gotta have uh you gotta be responsible for yourself you gotta put some uh, uh some meat into the game uh and his uh-huh. name will come to me in a few minutes but that's, that's okay. where we draw from with the work that we do and as i just stated uh, we've been very successful with getting guys in um wow. Now we go to a little, uh, bring it down to the programmatic things. Uh, I want to be able to see uh, how many guys get a job. Right. How many guys pay their child support. Mm -hmm. And how many guys get a chance to be in their children's lives. These stats that I just talked about, they begin to diminish when that father parent and or whoever the missing parent is, is involved in the child's life. We want to have an impact on the child's psychological and emotional development by allowing the parent an opportunity to be involved, a good parent, an opportunity to be involved in this child's life. I hope I haven't taken up too much time.
1: No, no you've got oh, no. you've got a whole hour, Albert. We we've dedicated okay. a, a whole hour for you because this is an important uh, thing that you're doing. It's an important ministry that you've really oh, yeah. devoted your your life to in the, in the St. Louis area and just it not to dads everything. but to but to moms and to kids too.
0: The entire family, the community, and it touches everything. Uh, uh uh the one area that i don't go too far with is the racism conversation however uh crime is impacted because of fatherlessness right uh uh, 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 uh this dangerous stuff that is going on i guarantee you you talk to those people who have gotten arrested uh, uh eight out of 10 of them going to be from fatherless homes okay um, a, a crime is bred by way of poverty.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When you have two parents being financially responsible for their children, people can find their way out of poverty a significant amount of the time. I'm not going to say it's going to happen every time. But there will be less poverty when you've got two parents uh, that's taking care of a household versus one. That Get is a really great—that's a great We're key, I think. Students, yeah, you got to have a job, man. Uh, when when they come here, when I went into, in 82 was where I began my struggle. The first job I took paid me $3.35 an hour. Oh. You got to have a job. Well, like I said, things didn't work out too well for me. But when I came out and came out of rehab in 93, the first job paid me $5 an hour. I believe that you got to have that job, particularly to keep criminal thoughts out of your mind. And I also believe that where you start at does not dictate where you end at.
1: Well, that's exactly we right. Have and, a- and what you you said about having the job, you know, as I was reading uh, about the uh, family uh, Fathers and Family Support Center, is now guys are able to— Pay child support if they're in that kind of mm-hmm. modality. They're able to if the families are still together. They're able to go back and support the family and be contributing
0: mm-hmm. uh, to the
1: family's uh, needs, etc., like that. So that's a, that's a very important point that you make.
0: You got to have a job, man. And and, and um, yeah, we're finding out right now that we still have a lot of problems in our society. Okay, but I will be one that people might shoot bullets at. It's the greatest society in the world. Uh, you can get 12 years of education for free. You yep. can get four years of college. It's called Pell Grant for free. Yep. Okay, you can get GED even if you think you have got too old to go to high school. These are yep. stepping stones You may start at five, but if you use these stepping stones, you can work your way up a little bit. There's some personal responsibility that you have to take, that I believe, now it's just me, that you have to take hold to. And again, as I say, it may not work for everybody. I'm not going to blanket statement everybody, Uh but I do believe that you have to take some responsibility for your own growth and development as long as you have all your mental capacities. This uh, this stuff point. is here in America for you. and there are some uh, challenges, and that's where we come in at. We not only uh, work with them through our process. Our process is a year process. The first six weeks now, they got to come to us five days a week, 8 o'clock to 4 o'clock, five days a week. Now, during the pandemic, we've cut that down for, uh, to be 8 to 12, five days a week for six weeks. The afternoon time was training projects. In other words, the social workers would conduct an assessment to determine what needs are. Some of the needs would be uh, 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 some GED. Some of the needs would be you need some computer skills. uh, Some of the needs would be that you need some substance abuse education. And those are the type of things they did in the after one time. And sometimes guys came back where they was okay. They had a high school diploma, blah, blah, blah. So we would assign them to volunteer opportunities so that we can begin to build a resume for them. You know, many times you, you're out of work and you ain't doing nothing. That don't look too good on a resume, but if you have volunteered somewhere, it makes your resume right. look a little bit more attractive. And so we, they'll do that for six weeks. If, you be, if you're late twice or you're absent twice, we're going to set you down. This might not be the program for you. You might want to go over here to such-and-such and and -and so-and-so. You know, if you came looking for a job, if that was the first thing you put on your paperwork, then we will make a referral to Slate. You know, if you had child support issues, then we'll let you know you need to go down and talk to the child support people. But you can't keep coming to us like this. Late is not going to be in our program because while we're working on helping you to understand the value that you are to your child, we're also working on getting you ready for a job. In 1996, 97, when I first started, I talked to about 150 employers in one room, uh, and I said to them what I was going to do, and I asked them, what do I need to do in order for you to be able to hire these guys? Almost all of them told me, if you can guarantee that they'd be their own time, <laughs> <laughs> this was in '97, before technology took over, if you can guarantee they're going to be your own time, then we'll be able to work with you. So I'm working on helping them to understand about what true job readiness is all about.
1: Now, Halbert, we're going we're to have Hello to take that. a break, and let's come take back to that after the break, if you don't mind, and continue that conversation about the jobs. We've been talking to okay. Halbert okay. Sullivan. He's the founder and CEO of Fathers and Family Support Center. You're listening to St. Louis in Tune, Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston, recorded weekly at the studios of KWRH 92.9 FM, your community radio station in St. Louis, Missouri. We're having a great time here. This is St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston. We've been talking to Halbert Sullivan. He's the founder and CEO of Fathers and Family Support Center here in St. Louis. Uh. And before the break, we were talking, Halbert, about the importance of of jobs and how the the men that you're working with, it's essential for them to have that in, in support of their families. Continue that conversation. We were started.
0: Well, okay, then. Uh, uh, that's my own particular uh, opinion. I think it is essential uh, for taking care of families and for taking care of yourself and for keeping yourself out of the penitentiary. I briefly spoke about the, uh, of the structure uh, being uh, that you can't be late and that you can't miss. We called our structure uh, Practicing for Success, a checkup from the neck up. Uh, the other entity, the other Activities that go on during that six weeks when I say practicing for success. We'll have child abuse prevention information that we share. We'll have uh, financial literacy that we share. Uh, We'll have uh, child support information that is shared, responsible fatherhood. We also focus in on domestic violence prevention, health and wellness literacy so that our guys can know how to be healthy. But we hope that translates into providing insurance for their children. Everything is to help him to understand the value that they are to the children. And that gives you some outlook on the sixth week, but basically it's about the apartment pieces, too. Um, just, let's just say, for the example, the guy is getting visitation and spending time with his baby. He don't have a job, which means he ain't got no money. Ice cream truck come down the street. If we heard that ice cream truck, we know that sound. Make all the kids run to it. And he can't buy his kid no ice cream. Mm. Well, pretty soon after maybe the second visit of Promising, he's going to stop coming because he's going to make him feel bad. Right. So let's get a job. Uh, We will stay with him. We work with them for a year. The six weeks is just the beginning of the journey. Usually in that six weeks time, we probably got about 60% of them a job. Our overall job placement rate after about 60 days is right around 73% of the people that complete our program is get employed. That's great. But so we stick with them for a year. My job developers, they look for careers for people. Our average job placement wage is about $14 an hour. However, when we look at the background that many of them bring, and I'm not holding background against nobody, but it's a reality. You come in, you don't have a high school diploma. You don't have any work history. You don't have any skills training certificates. So let's just get a job, okay? We stick with him. If I, if he stays on that first job for uh, 90 days, then we help him move to another job, okay, a better job. My job, people, they work very closely with employers. We probably got about 100, 120 employers that we work real close with. And they understand how we work. And if we come to the employer saying we're going to move him, the employer has an option. He can offer him more money if we really want to keep him. But we also let the employer know that we're going to place you another one right here just like him so that your production doesn't necessarily have to take a bad hit. This man has a family. He's got children. He's got child support. He needs to get better pay. You know, so I, work I, with him. We have some Huh?
1: No, I was going to say, that, that's an excellent point in that you have that many employers who are working with you that have oh, confidence yeah. in the program, and that, that that makes it so much easier to place uh, individuals in employment and to, oh, yeah. to move them uh, to get better-paying jobs. But I, I'm glad that the community has stepped up to really accept what you are doing well, and really work with you on that.
0: You're going to change the I, I, focus of this conversation. I'll get right back to that in a minute. Remember now, I've been doing this for over 22 years, (laughs) and I have about, oh, I think it's six jobs placement people. I don't believe in, with this population and the background I just shared with you of taking them to the internet and looking up jobs and see they got a job opening here and send them to that one that's not going to work for this population because there's a hundred other people looking at that job and they got a high school diploma. They ain't never been to jail. Right. So my guys won't stand a chance up against that. It's the reality. You can ban the box all you want to. If the employer finds out that you have a felony, he may not give you an opportunity with you just sitting across from him. Okay. Mm. Um, And so we believe in creating a relationship with employers. My job, people, are not called uh, employment developers. Uh, We have two sets. One set is called an accounts manager, and he's the one that's responsible for going out into the community and developing a relationship with the employers, and he manages that account. The other one is a career advisor. He works with the accounts manager, but he's the one that does the soft skills stuff, Okay. But they all—they both work together to get the best possible oh, opportunity for our guys, and they work together for the course of that year to help him to stay stable. You know, just huh. because you wake up and say you're going to do good, believe me, the devil gets busy then. He's about to lose one. Yeah. There's going to be some stumbling blocks along the way. So we work with them for a year to try to help them to be able to meet these stumbling blocks, know how to deal with them so that they can stay consistent in moving towards stability for their children and themselves. And stability for these individuals means stability for our communities as well.
1: Exactly. Oh my, that's
0: great. uh, 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 And man, I'm not trying to put any glorification in these next statements, but I firmly believe that if he can work for me, he can work for anybody. I was not a casual drug user. I was a dirtball, vacant building, living corner, begging dope fiend. If you read about me, some of it starts out one morning, uh, I woke up on a bus stop bench. I ain't looked back since then. That was in 1993. Stepped there on that bus stop bench. You know, it was some horrible, horrible, I, I was in deep with drugs. So as I stated, if it can work for me, it can work for anybody. You know, there are some things that we try to help them to understand, or we suggest that you try to get this in place for your life. Okay? I'm going to go back to something I said earlier. I couldn't think of the, uh, uh, the uh, psychologist's name. It was uh, Glasser. Glasser talks about reality therapy. Right. Helping people to begin to accept their own reality, and let's move forward from there. Okay, but above all, we also believe that you got to have some God in your life. I'm not going to ever leave that out of the conversation. As a matter of fact, people call me all over the world, federal people, everybody. that want you to come and do a talk. I said, wait a minute now. Are you sure? I'm going to talk about God when I get there. Are you sure you want me to come? Yeah, you don't want. We want you to come. So it's important. And you stay consistent, you know, and the connection to the children. One of the things I learned early on, about 2002, When we talk about this child support and this lack of a financial commitment, child support put out a report back in 2002, and and, and it just bothered me. If they knew this information, why don't they do something different? The report stated of the fathers who had child support orders and visitation, 75% of those fathers paid their child support. Versus fathers who had child support orders and no visitation, only 35% of them paid their child support. So this is a no-brainer. Huh. Right. Let's get them yep. together so we can get rid of oh, them. Yeah. Deadbeat dad and locking people up, taking their driver's yep. license, taking their professional yep. license, taking all that yep. stuff, when you yep. know the key is to get them two together. It hurts the kids more them. than it hurts the dad. It yep. hurts the kids you you remember how we were as kids? Uh, you ain't got no daddy. You ain't got no dad. Kids can oh. be terrible to one another, you know. And not to mention the other uh, uh, psychological and emotional things. Oftentimes, when you hear about a, a child, you know, in school acting out behavior problems, a lot of it associated with the fact that this kid is not real cool, not having no father or whoever the missing parent is.
1: Right. Right. You know,
0: I started my journey with the dad because it was a deadbeat dad, was the what they talked about now. Today, we've been working with moms for the last three or four years, and we also have a youth program as well.
1: Yeah, I was going to journey mention that, that uh, you kind of—not uh, I'm transitioned, but you added the moms in there because the strength of—if if you if you're working with a dad— and there is still some conflict at home. Uh, you're, you're supporting the other end there, too. So you have a united front representing to support the child who's at home or the children who are at home.
0: What yep. is your name and what is your phone number? Next talk I do, I'm going to take you with me. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly
1: right. I'll be happy to go that with you ex- anytime. time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is Absolutely. exactly
0: right. Um, I draw some from... Um, with Aid to Dependent Families, AFDC, the old welfare.
1: Right, right.
0: They created that program, for one thing, I think there was an unintended negative outcome. They gave people too much. They disincentivized work. But anyway, they strengthened the mom, when they gave her all the resources. No man could be in the home in order to receive those services. And at the same time, when we talk about our children, we wanted the moms to understand uh, uh, that the father is more than just a cash register. Right. We work with our mom to help develop our co-parenting agreements and or parenting plans, as well uh-huh. as when we get with the mother, if there is other needs, we conduct an assessment, and she may need help with a job. She may need help with some substance abuse or other mental health needs, and we're able to provide those things for her. The uh-huh. most important thing, again, is to be able to help her to understand, she too has to have a checkup from the neck up. When we yeah. look at this thing of entitlement that has occurred in the impoverished populations over these many decades, that's oh, embedded yeah. in certain communities. That's yes, embedded. It and it's there because it has occurred for many of these decades. Right. So we want, I want them to start thinking about how can I help myself? Let's so not keep on thinking about what everybody else doing it. That's not true. Maybe 25, 30 million people in poverty. you got 300 million that's doing just fine, so everybody else ain't doing it. Help right. them to understand how you can move across the line. I call it C people, which is average, normal American people. It is there for you. But you have to do some things, too. But that's what we drill into them, the follow-up pieces. On staff, we have social workers on staff. We have family therapists on staff. We have attorneys on staff. We have these different type of plus parenting people and jobs people. We have these people because that's what you need.
1: You know, Mark, and I, as I was mm-hmm. looking at his website uh, for the Families, a Fathers and Family Support Center, you know, you go from one employee, which was Halbert back in the day, to over 50 and a four and a half million dollar budget it's it's something that is making a dramatic impact 17,000 fathers over you know 42,000 kids impacted that's that's what's what's critical in this I I had a question Halbert that now how does somebody get involved and become a part of the program are they referred do they walk in Uh, do they I know you have a a kind of a a prison uh, Department of Corrections uh, situation that you also work with How, how does somebody get involved if they want to really become a part of the program
0: I'm going to deal with that Department of Corrections first. Our reentry work, that was an accident. Uh, when I looked at my data after two years, most of my clients, 75% of them had felonies in their background. So because we were able to get people jobs, uh, we fell over into the reentry work. And now it's one of our major projects. How do people come to us? Right now, about 45, 50% of our people come by word of mouth other past successful clients and or their families talking about what we were able to do with so-and-so and so-and-so and so working out. And we still do a street ministry. We walk the streets passing our flyers. When we put together that recruitment team, there's always at least one or two of our successful clients who's walking with us. And so that person that we're giving that flyer to, he has the opportunity to talk to the professional as well as to talk to the clients. Now, since we've been in business for quite a while, we do get referrals from child support enforcement. We have a staff that works right in family court, uh, at least he's assigned in the family court, so we get referrals from there, uh, as well as that Department of Corrections that you mentioned. Now, there's one thing, everybody got to volunteer, the Family Court Department of Corrections, they can't mandate nobody into my program. Yes, they can, just send that $8,000 check right along with them. <laughs> yeah. Okay, They send that check that you can mandate. Other than that, we want our guys to be there. We want to at least have them make us think that they're there because they want to be there.
1: Exactly. you got to be
0: willing to participate in the process. If you're not willing to, we'll set you down and say, this might not be the program for you. I want to go back to this comment you made earlier about St. Louis because I really want to beef that up. With everything that goes on, I never want to lose sight of the fact that St. Louis is a wonderful place to live. Say it. The St. Louis community, St. Louis City, and St. Louis County is a very giving community. That's great. When I started this in 1997, President Clinton put money into, res- into the states that had responsible fatherhood projects. I worked with the state of Missouri to help them to get their projects up and going. Well, when that money went away, which I think it was in for about four years, all across the country, when he put it out there, there was a thousand fatherhood projects. When that money went away, them projects went away. Well, guess what happened here in St. Louis? We grew. We grew and grew. And today I probably have about three federal grants. Started getting federal money about 2011 or twelve, about 2012. From 1997 up until that point, the St. Louis community grew this agency. They are a very given—as long as—well, with me, because I went to Brown School, I knew how to report on my outcomes, but I knew something else that a lot of other people don't know. I knew how to report on what is the impact of them outcomes, too. Absolutely. And so when, you know, the community opened their arms, and they've been with us uh, all the time, uh, helping us to— uh, 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 continue to grow but more than growth is helping us to maintain what we have i always want to applaud the st louis community and one of the first funders that we got was the united way okay i never want to forget about those people back in the day Hmm. when everybody said that it's a great idea but it ain't gonna work st louis Uh -uh. stepped up and it works we are a model for the nation
1: as you should as you should be And you've you've got what five yeah, locations exactly. here in in the St. Louis area? Uh, you know your your downtown headquarters just recently opened on sixteen oh one Olive, and you're going to have a location in East St. Louis uh, shortly. Oh my, that's great!
0: Very shortly, we'll uh, we hope to start our first class. Uh, I think it's August the twenty seventh in East St. Louis. August August thirty one is when the first class. I'm looking at our class schedule. And we wanted to start on the same rotation as our other class schedules. We have some type of uh, grand opening uh, thing on the 27th, I believe.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Now I I we've don't
0: always have people. Go ahead. We've always had people from East St. Louis inquiring as to why you're not over there, and it's it's always a money thing, and not to mention I don't know I did not know I still don't know the East St. Louis climate. I ain't going over there getting in no mess. I can't do that. But it is where God has led me, and we're going to open up and see how we can navigate.
1: That's right. And Halbert, I want you to speak to the dad who may be in a situation where he's been incarcerated or he's uh, drug or alcohol abuse, or there's a mom that's listening who may say, you know, this would be a great program for my my husband who's estranged or to help my kids. Will you speak directly to people about what they need to do?
0: Well, I would say the first thing is to give us a call. The number to reach us at is 314 333 4170. Give us a call. Uh, once you give us a call, the person to talk to will tell you when uh, to come in and who to talk to. Uh, if you're interested in what we have to offer, we will do a barrage of assessments to determine uh, what needs are. We have relationships with substance abuse uh, 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 rehabilitation centers. Uh, we have uh, on-site uh, therapists, but we also have relationships with other therapeutic entities. In the event that it's a little bit more serious than what we can take care of, we never let you go. If we refer you and you go into a rehab center or you go into get some mental health, we'll be right there with you. We stick with you throughout the process, okay? And that's the best way uh, to get in. We do want people to realize that it helps if you have a made-up mind, but if you come down and talk with us, we may be able to help you to make up your mind.
1: And that number again, folks, is 314-333-4170 or you can get more information on their website which is fathers plural fatherssupportcenter.org fatherssupportcenter.org they're located their main headquarters is located down on uh, 1601 Olive Street in uh, downtown West area i i i got to say that i'm extremely proud to have you on the air it's it's been a oh, pleasure yeah. and I didn't know about you guys until your building started to get renovated down there on Olive. I don't live too far away from where where your headquarters is, and I would walk our dog by and go, "Okay, I need to I need to find out more about this particular group." And I did and wanted to have you on the show. And the more I read about the success stories, there folks, you go to their website, the success stories, if, if you're not emotional after you read them, there's something wrong with you because this is exactly what our community needs to do to help support uh, individuals who are struggling and who really want to make uh, something of their lives, and, and we, we're helping kids in the process. So I've got to say, Halbert, uh, that I'm, I'm extremely proud to have you on the show today, and very honored that you are here in St. Louis, and that you chose you chose to, to open up the Scriptures and really get a good handle on your relationship oh, with, yeah. with God.
0: Yes, I do. It's, it's wonderful, day. and well, and I congratulations, I and congratulations. Go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say congratulations. I understand the St. Louis Regional Chamber gave you the Arcus Award. We could talk about that sometime. I know you don't do it for the awards, but um, that's a very prestigious uh, award, and it's it's just good to see that some people, you
1: know, really recognize when something really important and significant is happening uh, in, a, in our community. So congratulations on that award from the regional chamber. What a great, you can, and, and you're just doing so much good. We're so proud of you.
0: You can believe that I was honored to receive it, and I really appreciate uh, all the kind words that the, both of you all have given me. But I do want to uh, 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 say thank you uh, to my staff. I have an amazing staff team. I have uh, the staff of about 55, of which at least 15 or more. They've been with me for 10 or more years. I have staff that has been with me for 15, 20 years. So I want to thank that staff team. And I have an amazing board of directors. Just amazing. This building, it would not have been possible were it not for this board of directors. So I don't want to just claim all the credit and gobble it up. No, it wasn't just me. I got a lot of help, and particularly in this entire St. Louis community. And I thank the both of you all for this opportunity.
1: Well, you're welcome. And again, we've been talking to Halbert Sullivan, the founder and CEO of Fathers and Family Support Center. Their mission is to foster healthy relationships by strengthening families and communities. And get this vision, folks every father is a responsible father committed to a cohesive family relationship. Halbert Sullivan, thank you for being on St. Louis in tune with us.
0: And thank you again.